Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan, Calgary. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. I'm Aaron Vickers. He's Ryan Pike joining you on this lovely, lovely Tuesday. I'd say joining you as always. This is a little bit of a different look, Piker. We've been trusted with the wheels here, and thank goodness we've got a couple of outstanding producers in Cam Hughes, Taylor Digman, keeping this broadcast on the rails today in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems studio. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement-y. Okay, a lot to get to this hour, Piker, including Scott Wheeler from The Athletic in just a moment to talk a little World Juniors. But before we get to that... How's the trip in? How are you enjoying that crisp minus 26 prime air? Well, I mean, as we are want to say, and we always tell our colleagues to move here from Eastern Canada, it's a dry cold and it's not bad, but when it, the wind hits you, it hits you hard. I, uh, for those listeners who don't know where I live, thank you for not stalking me, but somewhere near the Saddle Dome, decided to take the walk today. Figured out the plus 15 system a little bit, but that was still a little bit outside. Crisp air, nice light breeze. Felt a little bit like playing back on the outdoor rinks in northern Alberta. I loved it. Yeah, and honestly, even, you know, I've done the walks from uh, from City Hall or, or the convention center area down to the Saddle Dome. It's not too bad, but if you're doing that, uh, that walk down Stephen Avenue down towards City Hall and making that turn, yeah, yeah. once you turn and you get that north-south corridor in front of you... There's always some wind, and it always hits me by surprise. Uh, it hit my face, and that's thank goodness I'm still fully bearded. I haven't taken that off yet. This has been a summer project I've been working on for the better part of four or five months now. Now it's more by necessity than it is style, because certainly not stylish at this point, just really grubby food drops into it, tough to maintain. But hey, here we are. So, Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it's hockey weather, right? It is hockey weather. I, uh, I mean, again, it's perfect outdoor rink weather. I think that uh, it does well to insulate. And uh, I mean, now's the time more than any. If, if it had a little bit more gray, I think I could pull the Santa thing off. We have Scott Wheeler on the line. Scott Wheeler of The Athletic and author of On the Clock Behind the Scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL Draft joins us down the guest hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Come in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. Scott, I think it's fair to say World Juniors is the most wonderful time of year for prospect aficionados. Draft notwithstanding, you're the lead expert when it comes to draft and prospect coverage, in my mind anyway. What's got you excited about this year's World Junior Tournament? Ooh, well, thanks for the intro. Uh, but as, as far as what gets me excited about this tournament, I think the big thing is just how many talented draft eligibles are going to be playing in key roster spots. This is, as we hear every year, it's a 19-year-old tournament, right? And that's just not the case this year. Two of Canada's top six players to start the tournament are going to be Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. Uh, the former, everybody's already familiar with. The latter, everybody is going to get familiar with really quickly, just an incredible blend of speed and power and skill. Uh, and then even well beyond that, with the, with the Slovaks, you've got another three or four kids that are going to be top two round picks in this year's draft, led by Dalibor Dvorsky, who's a potential top 10 pick. Leo Carlson is going to be one of the top three centers and is a likely top five pick in this year's draft. 
Uh, he'll be one of the top three centers for Sweden. So really right down the list, you've got the bulk of the best players in the upcoming draft, and the upcoming draft is a special one, who are all going to be playing. That's without even mentioning Edward Schale, who's a top potential top 10 pick uh, playing for Chechia in this tournament. So that's got me excited. There, there are the typical sort of 19-year-old stars in the draft-eligible names that everybody's familiar with. There's uh, the the Garden line of, of Noah Ostland, Jonathan Lekaramaki, and, and uh, Liam Ogren for, for Sweden that's going to be exciting. But uh, really, it's, it's, the, it's going to be the Bedard and the Fantilli and the Carlson show, I think, in a lot of respects. And that's exciting because those kids typically play uh, in, in years past, typically play sort of third, fourth line roles. And in each case, for all of those kids that I named, uh, you're looking at sort of top six uh, roles in this tournament. So there, there's going to be a lot of scouting to be done, I think, at this year's event, which isn't isn't common. Scott, obviously, every year, fans of all the Canadian teams, you know, take time starting on Boxing Day to get give themselves a crash course on that year Canadian junior team. Uh, you, you mentioned Bedard and Fantilli, obviously, but you know what else can you tell us about this Team Canada? Because you know there are a few names from who have spent uh, significant time in the NHL: Shane Wright, Dylan Gunther, Grant Clark. Uh, tell us what what can you tell us about this group, and I guess what's your level of optimism for them? Well, this is an exciting Team Canada. This is a, a much better team than the one that won gold in the summer because of the time of year and because they, they had so many players who declined in the summer, including Dylan Genther and Shane Wright among them. Uh, so this is a, it feels closer to a best on best. There are still a couple of players who were eligible to play for this team Canada who aren't participating. Wyatt Johnston is playing with the Dallas stars. Cole Sillinger is playing with the Columbus blue jackets, but it's like as good to a sort of full slate of Canadian talent in these two age groups uh, as we've seen. So that piece of it is, is exciting up front. You've got a star studded group of future NHL players and, and not just the guys who are back from the NHL. It's not just Shane Wright and Dylan Gunther who are going to drive that bus. It's the two draft eligible kids. It's Logan Stankoven, who was one of the top three players in the summer and is the reigning WHL player of the year uh, should have for my money have been the CHL player of the year as well. Um, so j- just from top to bottom, it's a, it's a really exciting group up front They've got a lot of talent in the top six. They've got a lot of big, fast, heavy players in the bottom six. Guys like Nathan Gaucher, Zach Ostapchuk of, of the Ottawa Senators, Nathan Gaucher of the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, it's it's a really, really heavy group in the bottom six and, and still a, a very talented group. Uh, and then the, the defense is, is going to be led by Brent Clark and Olin Zellweger. Zellweger was a star of the summer tournament in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. He's back for a third time in this event. Uh, and really is is arguably the best defenseman in in the CHL, the whole of the CHL right now. Him or Pavel Mintyukov of the Saginaw Spirit, who unfortunately we're not going to get to see on the ice because Russia isn't participating. But uh, Zellweger and Clark will carry the load on the blue line. And the big question mark, as has often been the case for this team, Canada is is in net. Uh, they've actually been lucky the last few years. They've had obviously Carter Hart came through, Devin Levi, who is a, a top goalie prospect of the Buffalo Sabres came through and was phenomenal. Uh, but really those feel rare uh, these days. And that's, if anything, I think if Canada is going to lose a, an important game in this tournament, if Canada is going to get upset and they are the favorites, uh, but if they're going to drop a game in this tournament, I think it's quite likely going to be because 
the goalies give up four or five goals and they lose a game five, four or five, three kind of thing. Uh, so that's, that's the big question mark. It's, it's a tandem that they brought with them to UA teams in Texas a couple of years ago when Canada won gold in Texas. It's the exact same duo of Thomas Millich and Ben Godro. Ben Godro is a San Jose Sharks prospect who in, uh, in, in Texas was, was just outstanding, really grabbed the net. But Milic got a shutout in his pre-tournament opener last night and has played some really good hockey over the last couple of seasons for the Seattle Thunderbirds, including a deep, deep playoff run with Seattle last year in the WHL. So I won't be surprised in the least if Milic, Milic grabs the net here. But uh, that's, that's the weakness for sure if there is one with this team, Canada. Scott Wheeler of The Athletic joining us. Surprised at all Shane Wright was named captain or was that automatic? I know things didn't necessarily start the way he'd hoped to his NHL career with the Seattle Kraken. But it seemed like a stint in Coachella of the American Hockey League seemed to help things form a little bit. Yeah, no, not a surprise at all. Again, this is a group that was together for that, that U18 uh, gold medal run in Texas. And Shane was the captain of that team. He played with Dylan Genther and Brandon Othman, who are both on this team, uh, on the top line of that group. And him and Connor Bedard were really the stars of that tournament with, with Russia's Matt Bay-Michkov. And uh, so to have him in this age group as the captain, I just think it felt like a comfortable thing. Uh, obviously not a returnee in the in the typical sense. He was a part of the, the winter team when it got cancelled just mm-hmm. two games in. It was actually a bit of a disappointing tournament, though, for him. If everybody recalls, uh, at the end of that tournament, Cole Perfetti, uh, they'd only played two games, but Cole Perfetti of the Winnipeg Jets had led the tournament in scoring with six points. And coincidentally, his center was Shane Wright, and Shane just had a lone secondary assist in those two games. So despite the fact that his line mate was lighting it up, he wasn't really all that involved. And then he declined to come in and and participate in the gold medal run that they had in the summer tournament. And now he's obviously back uh, probably under terms that he wouldn't have envisioned for himself at the start of the season when he uh, likely thought that he was going to be a full-time NHLer. But I think in just in seeing him in Moncton, I was out in Moncton for their selection camp last week and, just in sort of being around him, I think he's he's really excited about this. He wants that gold medal. It's it's a bucket list thing for all of these kids, and uh, he's he's happy to be in a leadership role and and be taking this on to hit a bit of a restart button in his season. And maybe if he has a big big tournament, maybe if he makes the media All Star team or is named to the one of the sort of directorate awards that are awarded by the IHF at the end of the tournament, maybe that's a, a nice launch pad for him to go back to Seattle and and keep going. So. Uh, an interesting, uh, a bit of an interesting story here with Shane. I think he's going to be at the at the center of of everything that happens with this team. Not just because he plays the position, but because he's a focal point of the team. He's a captain, and that Seattle storyline still really looms large for him. Now, Scott, obviously there are many, many promising youngsters at this tournament. From a, a player perspective, who are you most curious to watch? Ooh, uh, I'm really excited to see the NPDP line that we saw a couple of years ago of, of Logan Cooley, Jimmy Snuggerud, and Cutter Gauthier. They're going to be reunited here, and they are a, a good, good trio together. They had a lot of chemistry. So I'm excited to watch those three uh, sort of get back on the, on the world stage here. And then the, re- the return of Luke Hughes. I think that American team, if they're going to win, Luke Hughes has been named captain he was dominant, dominant, dominant in the summer tournament, really grabbed hold of that tournament and was injured at the very tail end of it. Uh, and because of that injury, they they were upset in the quarterfinal and he was playing on one leg and 
the Czechs advanced in stunning fashion over the Americans. So there's a redemption story here for this American group, and it's a very talented team. So those uh, those three guys up front and Hughes, I think, are going to be really compelling. Is it the Americans that Canada needs to watch out for? Finland, Sweden? Who are you, um, I guess, if you had to put Canada's odds together, who's Canada's biggest hurdle to securing back-to-back goals? I think it is the, the those two clubs in particular, the, the Swedes and, and the Americans. This is a Finnish team that actually just beat a couple of weeks ago, beat the Swedes by a score of 6-1 to one in their last friendly game. So that was a bit of a surprise just because this isn't a strong Finnish age group, if I'm being honest. There are a couple of players up front, the the Brad Lamberts, the the Vili Koivinens that are going to have to carry the load for them. But it's not what we've what we've been accustomed to seeing with the Finns, who've won obviously three of the last ten gold medals at this tournament and have become a real superpower at this level. So uh, I, I still think it's going to be the the Swedes. We all know that the Swedes have a way of underachieving in this tournament. Thomas Monten, the longtime head coach of that team, has stepped away. So they've got a new man in charge of, of the U20 program, uh, but they're they're a really good club. I I, I talked about earlier that your Gardens line with Oslin and Ogren and Lecker mm-hmm. Mackey, but uh, and I talked about Leo Carlson. But even beyond them, Philip Bystet will be the third center with Oslin and Carlson. That's as good a one two three down the middle as there is in this tournament. Canada included Bystet's a first round pick. Uh, of the San Jose Sharks, who's having a ton of success in the SHL as a teenager. So uh, they're a really good team. I actually think the Swedes would have been more of a threat, uh, obviously, had they gotten Simon Edvinson back from the Detroit Red Wings. Without Simon Edvinson, if there is an issue with this Swedish team, uh, and they're loaded with talent. I mean, Fabian Liesel, Isaac Rosen up front on top of all those names I mentioned. But if there is a, a, a hole in this Swedish roster, per se, uh, I really do worry about that blue line without Simon Edmondson. They've got six, seven solid defenders that they're bringing, but they don't have a guy who's going to play 30 minutes a night when it matters like Edmondson could have for them. And I think that could be a challenge against a team like the, the Canadians or the Americans. So if I were doing a predictions at this stage, I'd probably go Canada 1, USA 2, Sweden 3. Scott Wheeler of The Athletic joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Hotline. Scott? I'm asking you to stake your reputation right here, right now. Everybody loves an underdog. The World Cup proved it. Any sleeper off the board pick you'd stake your reputation on to medal in this tournament? Ooh, uh, I like the Czechs. Uh, not really an off the board pick, but really outside of the big four that I'll we're take used it. to I'll seeing take it. here. But the Czechs are dangerous. The Czechs have the most returnees coming back. They actually had 19 players eligible from their summer team to come back which considering how many 20 year olds played in that for other countries is an incredible number the teams like the americans and the canadians and the swedes are bringing back five or six kids not not up to 19 uh two of those checks were not uh sort of eligible who weren't eligible to come back or are going to hurt them one of them is obviously david yurichek who was not lent by the cleveland uh, Monsters and the Columbus Blue Jackets, their sort of top 10 pick in, in Columbus in last year's draft. He would have been one of the best defensemen in the tournament. And then beyond uh, Juracek, they also graduated their captain, Jan Mishak, who w- was their first line center at each of the last two tournaments due to age. So without Mishak and, and Juracek, that Czech team lacks a little bit of the star power of some of the other teams in the tournament. But this Czech group, I talked about Edward Shawley off the top. He's not alone. They've got a really good, solid team up front. Matias Sapovalov 
is a legit sort of top player in this age group at this point. So all of that is is going to be a big, big part of the, the story here. And then on, on defense, they've got a number of returnees. Thomas Hamara of the Kitchener Rangers is participating. Uh, Spacek, the Minnesota Wild prospect. So they've got a, a really, really solid team from top to bottom. And uh, it was only a few months ago that they upset an American team that looked absolutely unstoppable through group play. The Americans looked like the best team in the tournament through group play in the summer. And then suddenly the Czechs had beat them in in the quarterfinals and they were headed to the medal round. And I think they're, they're capable of doing that again. And I'm really looking forward in particular, as far as the group play matchups go, I'm looking forward to the game between Chechia and the Swedes uh, in Canada's group. That's Those are teams that are going to be fighting for, for second and third place in the group. I think Canada will win the group. Uh, and if, if, if the Czechs manage an upset, then suddenly the Swedes might get a really difficult quarterfinal opponent in the crossover against Finland or the USA. So uh, that, that whoever finishes third in Canada's group could, could have a really difficult quarterfinal matchup. Now, Scott, you mentioned uh, the American performance over the summer. Uh, what are the highlights for uh, for a lot of fans in this market of that uh, tournament was seeing Matt Coronado do a lot of good things for the Americans, at least up until that uh, game against Czechia. Uh, obviously, he's too old to be involved in this year's tournament, but the Flames have a pair of prospects on their way to the tournament in uh, Sweden's William Stromgren and Finland's Topi Roni. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Stromgren and Roni and the roles they might be playing on their two clubs? Well, Roni is going to play the more prominent role of the two players. Tuppy is is penciled in as kind of the third-line center, uh, but I think there's a real good chance he'll be a, a second-line center, if you will, for, for the Finns by the time the tournament is over. He's a big kid who can really move and has some talent, and uh, I think at this level his game will just work, especially on the smaller ice. His game has typically worked. Uh, they obviously play on a bit of a hybrid ice surface in Finland, and a lot of those kids tend to sort of make the adjustment to the smaller ice surfaces in North America a little bit uh, sort of easier, if you will, than than the Swedes who are so used to having more time and space when they have the puck. So Ronnie's a kid who I think will will benefit from from that style of play. And really, there there are openings within this Finnish lineup, as I hinted to earlier, in terms of just lacking depth up front. They've got three or four key players up, up front at forward, and I wouldn't say that Ronnie is one of them. But if they're looking for a, a fifth or a sixth forward who's going to have a point-per-game tournament or a big showing and help them into the medal round, uh, I think Ronnie cer- certainly qualifies as one of those sort of next best players on that Finnish group up front. So looking forward to seeing him. And then Stromgren, I fully expect Stromgren's going to be more of a, a complimentary piece. Uh, they, As I mentioned off the top, between the centers that they have down the middle and guys like Fabian Wiesel and Jonathan Lekaramaki and Liam Ogrind and Isaac Rosen on the wings, uh, it's going to be difficult for a player like Stromgren to play higher than the sort of bottom six. But in saying that, Stromgren's he's got an ability to be a contributor in that bottom six and to put a couple of goals in and to be involved on offense and to be a good penalty killer for that team. And I think that's what you'll you'll see out of him. I don't expect to see him on either of the power play units at this level, given the group that they have up front. But he's got some talent in his own right and is a sort of decent B-level prospect in his own right. So. Uh, very much looking forward to seeing what both of those kids do, but I would expect that Ronnie plays the the larger role of the two. Great stuff, Scott. Before we let you go, tell us what you're working on. How can we keep tabs on your World Juniors work and prospect work in general? 
Yeah, I'm uh, off on vacation this week and then fly out on Boxing Day bright and early to, to make it in time for Canada and Chechia that afternoon. And uh, you can expect uh, a number of features. I've got stories cooking on, on four or five of the kids that are participating in the tournament that I'm excited to sort of finally sit down and put together after doing all the interviews for them. And then uh, daily thoughts column, and at the end, the, the the big giant notebook. That's kind of the crowning, the crown jewel of of my World Juniors coverage. So, between myself and my colleague Corey Pronman, we'll have everybody covered at the Athletic in terms of everything you need to know about the World Juniors. No better Christmas tradition than a Boxing Day flight, am I right? Yeah, bright and early. I got a little guy now. I used to fly out on uh, on Christmas, but once we had the little guy, that became a, a non-starter. So I've got the bright and early boxing days. I think it's like 6 or 7 a.m. Scott, great stuff. I owe you a beer next time you're out in Calgary. Enjoy the World Juniors and Merry Christmas to you. Back at you, pal. Happy holidays, guys. That was Scott Wheeler of The Athletic and on the clock, behind the scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the NHL Draft. Joining us down the guest hotline, Follow his work at The Athletic and on Twitter at Scott C. Wheeler. The guest hotline is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Dine in, pick out, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. We'll focus our attention on the Flames around the corner, a commanding 5-1 win against the San Jose Sharks on Sunday night, and they'll do it all again from the SAP Center later tonight. Potentially with Chris Tanev back in the lineup. That and more when we come back on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I like back it. to Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. That's good. I, I kind of want them to play this in the background of the entire segment. It's, it's, uh, it's sending out some vibes. I don't know whose choice that was, but make it happen. well done back there. Thank you. This is Sportsnet Today with Ryan Pike and Aaron Vickers broadcasting from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Studio. Brought to you by Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. We are your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. We are all things basement Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Download the show at Sportsnet Today and text us your thoughts. Hit us up on the text line at 960-960. Piker, we could see some new look lines again. Yeah. When the Calgary Flames play the second and two straight against the San Jose Sharks. I don't know what caught your eye, but most noticeably for me, we see Milan Lucic elevated up the lineup and elevated up the lineup to the second line right wing position. This might be a first for me unless I'm misremembering Milan Lucic playing the right side. We're also going to see the return of Mangiapani with Backlund and Coleman. Piker, tee up these lines for me. What will we see tonight? Well, this is a stick tap to our, our colleague, uh, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, who uh, is doing human's work down as the rest of us are shivering here. He's gallivanting in California covering a hockey team. So, Wes, we appreciate the hard work you're putting in for everyone. Uh, the, the lines from, there was an optional morning skate today. They didn't do, as far as I can tell, full rushes, or at least we didn't see anything tweeted. Uh, but we did see tweeted by Wes on, uh, on Monday after their full practice was the following four lines. Dylan Dubé, Elias Lindholm, and Tyler Toffoli, as per usual. Uh, the new look second line of Jonathan Huberdeau, Nazem Kadri, and goal scorer Milan Lucic. Uh, the return of a possession beast from last season for the first time, really this season, in Andrew Mangiapane, Michael Backlund, and Blake Coleman. And the the guys who were left over formed the fourth line, uh, Adam Rizicka, Trevor Lewis, and Brett Ritchie. Uh, they had, uh, you know, 
the extra skater right now amongst the forwards is Matthew Phillips. On Monday, I believe uh, Zahorno might have been on. He missed Sunday's game with an illness. He I don't know if he skated or not on Monday, but he got assigned to the American Hockey League to make room for Chris Tanev, which we'll get into momentarily yep. uh, for roster spots. So right now the Flames are carrying 13 forwards and the guy who looks like he probably won't play tonight is Matthew Phillips. But beyond that, there's some, some interesting looks. We've seen uh, a couple looks. Uh, Dubé Lindholm and Defoli got some nice praise from Daryl Sutter after Sunday's game. Uh, especially, you know, they were very good uh, in terms of you know jumping all over chances. Last season, they used the the Mangiapane, Backlund, Coleman trio all over the place. That was basically, you know, aside from, I think we obviously, you, when you have three guys in a line that score 40 goals, you're going to throw some flowers at them. So you heard a lot about Goudreau, Kachuk, and Lindholm last year, and rightfully so. Uh, Mangiapane, Backlund, Coleman was very quietly one of the best lines in hockey. And, you know, they're back, and... Yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think? This is a lot of things jump out to me. It's going to be very interesting to see how they're used. Well, the first thing that jumps out to me is Milan Lucic riding shotgun on the second line, and this is just a couple games removed from sitting as a healthy scratch for three straight. So I'm kind of curious the promotion of the veteran there. I will be the first to admit I haven't loved Adam Rizichka's game over the course of the past two, three, four. And that's been always an issue with him is the consistency and always bringing it and things of that sort. But it is curious to me to see Lucic move from the press box to the fourth line to the second line and, in and under the, a week. And the second line on his off wing. I mean, if you look yeah. at it, it's it is interesting to me that Ruzichka, who is a natural center, who we heard during training camp from Daryl Sutter's lips, didn't have much of a chance to make this team if he was going to be a center. And now, as the kids say, things change, plans change. Uh, Kevin Rooney, the de facto number four, is with the stock or with the the Calgary yeah. Wranglers rather. He's in Wrangler Town. He's playing at Winsport, uh, and so I guess Trevor Lewis, who is sort of a a center wing hybrid, he can you know Trevor Lewis will do what you need him to do. He's a good soldier. I don't know if he's an amazing center, but he's he'll he'll try, and it shows. I mean, if we're talking about you know coach favorites, you know Trevor Lewis is a guy you always get what you think you're going to get from him. He very rarely disappoints. He very rarely blows the doors off. You're never really going to go, man, you know who was really impressive last night? Trevor Lewis. But you never walk away from a game going, man, I didn't think Lewis was very good last night. And if you're Daryl Sutter and you you have certain expectations for your fourth line, that that's what you want from them, right? Hey, for me, and listeners will know, I'm a big Trevor Lewis backer, and he is on pace for, I think, 16, 17 goals this season, which is probably, to be perfectly honest, double digits more than you'd expect out of him. That's no slight to Trevor Lewis. It's just the role he's in and how how he's deployed. And to me, he's one of a handful of two, three, four, five guys that you can count that have actually exceeded expectations in terms of delivery so far this season. Be, so I'm what, fine him, It's him. It's uh, Pat's favorite player, Brett Ritchie, the inevitable Brett Ritchie. Yeah. And Zadorov. Like there's, there's not a lot of guys I'll, who have outkicked their coverage this year. I'll give a little bit extra to Tyler Toffoli yeah. um, just because he's a been such a good finisher regardless of, I mean, he's been with Elias Lindholm for the majority of the season, but it's been a rotating cast on the other side. But other than that, maybe a little bit of Nazem Kadri if he didn't have a big dip sort of in, I was going to say in the middle, but in the middle of this 31 game stretch that the Calgary Flames are in. But yeah, let's get back. Let's circle the wagons. Milan Lucic, second line right winger 
I don't recall ever in his tenure with the Calgary Flames playing the right side. If it is, mm-hmm. it, it's been a short stint. So I'm curious the rationale, and the reasoning, playing if, him out of position like if, that. If we're playing devil's advocate, I mean, when Lucic, like Lucic was on that line a couple of years ago with uh, with Derek, Derek Ryan and Dylan Dubé, it tended to be Dubé playing his off wing, but... Yep. They had a really good game against the Sharks on Sunday, so you probably want to keep that line together. And so the what's the list of guys you can play on their off wings? I mean, Manjapani, again, you if you're going to be playing against the Sharks and you want to seek out some of the tough minutes, you're going to be dangling Backlund's line out there as much as you can in the D zone to take those tough minutes. So, again, you probably want to boost that lineup as much as you can with a, a finisher like Manjapani can be. And so... That makes sense. Rizichka, he's played on the left side his entire, what, dozen games as an NHL winger. You yep. probably don't want to throw him on the off wing. Uh, Huberdeau, I wouldn't want to make him play the off. Like, the, the list of names, I mean, maybe you throw maybe you throw in a Matthew Phillips because oh, he's a right-shot guy. But, again, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, with the names they have available and the guys who performed well the last game if you're just shuffling the guys that you you've been using reliably the last bunch of games i think maybe again i i don't know if lucic in that role is going to work but who else is there well you hit the nail on the head where there's one guy that was at one point we, the we leading can, leading scorer in the american we hockey can hear league the t- yeah and, 960 and 960 he, hit the text line and, and that slacker hasn't played a game in the american league in like two weeks he slid i think he's still top 10 i think he's eighth or ninth in, in scoring, which goes to show you how much of a lead he had on the rest of the field that he could be up here for 10, 12 days and still not fall out of the top 10. We've said all season long that the Calgary Flames have a hole in their top six wing, whether you want to make it a left wing or a right wing, depends on who you're moving out of position. But your top six should have some offensive punch to it. And granted, Milan Lucic got his first of the season, but wouldn't that spot alongside Jonathan Huberto, Nazem Kadri, be tailor-made to give Matthew Phillips a bit of an audition right there in a scoring role. He's a, been a scorer his whole career. This could have been the test to me, the make-or-break Matty Phillips experience with the Calgary Flames in the NHL. And, and against a team that has lost back-to-back games is, to be very polite, porous defensively like the San Jose Sharks. The San Jose Sharks team that won't have Thomas Hurdle yeah. tonight, so they're a little bit leaner up front. I mean, you're. I don't disagree with you. I I, I imagine a lot of Daryl Sutter's mindset is, you know, reward the guys that got you the win that helped you break that five-game losing streak. And so until someone either drastically underperforms or gets hurt, I don't know if they're going to, you know, really want to make much of a forward shuffle. But he's he's right there. He's with them on the trip. He's the 13th forward. And at some point, you'd like to see him get in with a bit more of a bit more leash offensively, because you know, like I I know we all have short memories, but you what he played two games in neither none of the games that he you know terribly impressed. You know, he didn't make me go, whoa, you can't take you can't take that kid out of the lineup. But he also didn't do anything that made me cringe and go, ooh, you can't do that at this level. So I don't know. He did nothing to play his way out of the lineup. So hopefully that means he gets a chance to go back in at some point. All right, let's play devil's advocate or let's build our lines from scratch here. And I think we'll both agree that Dubé, Lindholm, Toffoli can stay together. Majapani, Backlund, Coleman, we'd be very curious to see 
come back and, and see what they can do in terms of their possession and their ability to defend, but also play 200 feet. So you've got Huberto, Kadri, and Blank. So suggest Matty Phillips there. Who's coming out on your fourth line? Because you can't remove Lucic, I don't think, after the effort he gave you. He needs to continue to build momentum. So that leaves Rizicka, Lewis, Richie, Lucic. I think you have to leave Lewis in because he's probably your most consistent penalty killer. Yeah. And you can, you can, if someone gets hurt, if someone's in the box, if you just need to throw in someone together, like the, the, the bump up line for the flames after special teams opportunities has traditionally been Backlund, Coleman, Lewis, and occasionally Backlund, Coleman, Rizicka. But if you need, if you need someone out there to, to boost them up, that's what they tend to do. And so, yeah, I, I think, Richie or Rizicka might be the easiest guys to take out. For me, I think you're right. And poor Pat Steinberg, when we say Brett Richie needs to come out of the lineup to make way for Matthew Phillips, I'm not sure we're going to get too many people agreeing with that other than people that really, really, really want to see Matthew Phillips in a Calgary Flames uniform. For me, it just makes sense to audition him here, though. And I mean, this is somewhat of a conversation that we in the media have been having for the better part of two months. I'm sure fans have been all over um, getting Matthew Phillips in. I don't know if you've had the luxury of seeing the text line on a regular uh, any show whatsoever when it involves oh, and, Matthew Phillips. And uh, I'm sure your Twitter mentions, much like mine, have uh, when when we retweet lines from folks like Wes or Pat, we get people jumping in with to our mentions with, oh, well, they're not going to give uh, give that kid a chance, are they? On the text line at 960-960, talk about cutting your nose off to spite your face. Why bump up someone into a scoring role who has, what, a goal in their last 70 games? That in on the text line. Or, and, or a goal in his last two games. So cool. it, depend, it depends where you want to draw the boundary. Well, I mean, I think the larger sample size, the better when it comes to analyzing data. I'm going to defer to you on that statement. You Gener- more than generally I. Generally speaking, more more data, more the more data you have available, the better. But if you're if you're looking for reasons to keep them in, I'm sure the coaching staff might go. You look good last game. Same team you're playing against. Give him better line mates. Maybe he'll get two goals. I mean, that might be a stretch, but at the same time, maybe Milan Lucic can create a little bit more room for Nazem Kadri, Jonathan Huberto, see what they can pull together in terms of one, getting Lucic going, two, getting the other two guys going. I'm not sure how the combination and the chemistry between the three will unfold. I, I would prefer somebody with a little bit more skill on that line with them, but far be it for me to to question the decision-making of a coach who's got a lot more experience than I do. I, I have a question for you while we're at it. Hit me. Uh, you mentioned not being enamored with Adam Rizic's game lately. I mean, he's the offense is sort of dried up. He was, you know, he's still, you know, a little bit shy of point per game, but he's gone a few games without really getting on the score sheet. What's going on with him? He, I know, I know, dating back to his days in the OHL, the and even you know his draft year in 2017, uh, the 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 thought process was big kid, real good got away with being just really skilled and not having to outwork guys in Slovakia and at times in the OHL. And then he basically had to learn how to be a reliable pro. And it seems sometimes he's very reliable and sometimes you hardly notice him. 
Well, I think it all stems back to consistency and lack thereof in his effort level, to be quite honest. It was something that plagued him in his draft year with Sarnia, where there's a strong, strong argument to be made that back as a 17 and an 18-year-old, Adam Rizishka had the potential to be a first-round pick. He had the size, he had the skills. But when you only see it X number of nights out of 10, you know, if maybe you see it 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10, you're still not seeing it 30 to 40% of the time. And Daryl Sutter's referenced this in multiple seasons where he needs to show more and more consistently to be an everyday NHLer. And it spoke volumes when training camp would break open and the question would be, how does Adam Rzichka fit? Well, he doesn't fit down the middle. And at the time he didn't. And I'm not necessarily sure you want him developing on the fourth line and this demotion I don't think necessarily is a long-term development tool. I think it is a motivating tool to give him the kick in the pants to see if he can elevate his game again. Yeah, I'll, I heard a lot of the same things that you heard about him in his draft year, yeah. positive and negative. I was talking to some uh, some pro scouts uh, in the press box last week, and they the point was made to me, actually I made the point and it was, it was paired it back to me as something that I actually was reading improperly, so I'm always happy when hockey people tell me that I'm not completely off base. But, you know, if you're, we, we hear this a lot. I don't, this isn't necessarily a Rizicka specific thing, but I mean, you know, Sven Bershi, I think, had some of these habits and bad habits too, in the sense that, you know, both Rizicka and, you know, Bershi, from by the time they're 10, 12, 13 years old, they've been the best player in their town, in the league they play in, in their potentially their part of the country, their entire age group. And if you're more talented than everybody else that you're ever playing against, for years and years and years and years and years. And honestly, even in the OHL, I think there's probably stretches depending on the level of opposition and what team they're playing that, you know, you didn't need to outwork players for Adam Rizicka to get two, three, four points. And then you hit the NHL or even the American League. And all of a sudden it's guys like you. It's the best player from every town, every league, every age group throughout the world. And they're all in one league and they're all trying to fight you. And I don't, I don't know if you haven't had to build those habits to be good at hockey, I can't imagine how tough it is to learn those habits on the fly at a, at a high pressure environment like the NHL or the AHL. Couple more down the text line at nine sixty nine sixty as it pertains to Matthew Phillips. One, who cares? Which is a little harsh. Calgary kid, born and raised product, gone through your system. Another one, I say give another chance and see if he can pot it. So, both sides of the Matty Phillips. Uh, conversation i guess if you will i want to switch it up a little bit here on you piker andrew mangiapani 35 goals last year his production has fallen off only seven so far this season on pace for 18 what can his being bumped back if you will to michael backlin and blake coleman's duty can help him get going well i don't know if you've heard of the backlin bump but We've seen Daryl Sutter and Kirk Muller with their four lines throw a struggling player or a player who needed a, a spark on their flank a few times this season. We saw it with Jonathan Huberdeau when he came back from his injury. He needed to get his feet under him. They put him with the two best 200-foot players in the team. The best, you know, Coleman's a, a very high-level puck retrieval player. Backlund touches the game in so many areas, and he's we, we talk about uh, consistency being a, a big thing in the NHL. 
Backlund's like a metronome. He's Mr. Consistency. He's just, and that's probably why he's played as long as he had in the, in the roles that he had, because he's just, he's uh he's like one of those little drinking birds. He just keeps, you know, doing his thing and he's good at it. So we've seen Adam Rosicka on their wing. We've seen Jonathan Huberto on their wing. We've seen whatever combinations of players have been on their wing have their best stretches of the season on, on their flank. And so if I'm, if I'm the flames and I go, man, yeah, I got Manjapani scoring. Put him with two guys that have the puck a lot. Put him with two guys that can retrieve it, that can manage the puck, and can get, put it on his stick in some dangerous situations. So that might be as much as I'm curious to see how Milan Lucic does on his off wing with two really high-level players. I'm really curious to see how Mangiapane looks on the wing with two very high-level two-way players. Here's the $5.8 million question for you. You ready? Is Andrew Mangiapane a 35-goal scorer? Or is he a guy that just scored 35 goals? I think that's the question that uh, he's answering this season. I, I So is that a no? That's right a, right that's now, a if, if he's, I think we'll find out by the, by between here and April. But I mean, if you're, you know, he, he was on a sweetheart deal before. And, you know, the, the, we've noticed this a lot with, you know, I think a lot of Flames players were relative to their performance level underpaid. Part of the maturation process of your hockey club is your guys that you drafted and developed. I mean, you know, Mangiapane went from being a guy who was on a league men contract. Like, his rookie contract was not a high-end rookie contract. It was a mid-to-low-level rookie contract. He was a bargain in the American League and the AHL, or in the, the NHL, during his entry-level deal. And then, even last, he signed two bridge deals where he definitely outperformed the deals he were on. But now, once you sign your big-boy contract, that's when, you know, it's like, okay, you, you, we, you can't be a, a, a pleasant surprise anymore. You're, the expectation is that you're going to produce at the level that the money dictates you to do. So, I mean, and much, you know, still with some words from Daryl Sutter, I think the challenge is if you're not scoring, you got to be doing enough other things to contribute. And I would say he has, I think for the most part, he's been a net positive on the team, but in terms of his offensive contributions, I don't think it's unfair to say they've been disappointing so far. So we run down the forward lines. We'll get to the defense in a moment. But you were talking off air just in the break there. Something curious. Could the Flames, given their injury woes on the blue line, and they've got a couple of guys that are either banged up or coming back off of injury, could you see 11 forward, 7 defensemen against the San Jose Sharks? They're carrying 8. They did 11-7 uh, on Sunday. And I think the the stated reason from Daryl is that, you know, they they were leaning too hard on two pairs. They didn't have a, a third pair, a duo of any combination that Daryl really liked to to lean on. And, you know, when they when you're leaning too hard on on four guys, eventually the the you know, they're gonna wear them down. So that's a that's a long meandering way of saying Possibly, because, you know, Nikita Zadorov left last game after blocking a shot. He was a full participant in morning skate on Tuesday, according to Wes Gilbertson, which is great to hear. But you don't know if he's going to be 100% or just morning skate 100%. Uh, Chris Tanner has been activated off the IR, so he's eligible to play tonight. You're not going to activate him if he's not playing, because there's no point in wasting a roster spot. So he's probably in, but... You know, could it be as simple as the the Flames swap in Tanev for uh, for Dennis Gilbert? Maybe, maybe they go eleven seven again, and at least with eleven seven, I mean, you can you know mix and match your forward groups and whoever seems like they're going, you just you can roll with, and you don't have the uh, especially you know I was thinking about this. You're playing the same team twice in a row. 
And so there's no, there's no, uh, there are no secrets anymore between these two clubs. They've seen each other both on video and in person very recently. So if you're, if you're the flames, maybe you keep wanting to throw them curveballs by going 11, seven again. I don't know if the San Jose Sharks, do you need to throw them curveballs? Can you just put the heat right down the middle? Just given <sighs> they're going to be short Thomas Hurdle. Huh? They're not necessarily the prize of the Pacific Division to start with. Yeah, but you're also a team that's coming off five straight losses. You, you, Don't throw stones. You, yeah, you've, you've <laughs> got, you finally got off uh, got off uh, the schneid by getting a win over the Sharks. At this point, I don't think the Flames have the ability to be choosy about you know how they they focus on their opponents. I think they have to you know treat everyone like it's Game Seven against Dallas, and you want to throw every kind of bit of chicanery, you know, every bit of uh, you know. Oh, it's a it's an optional morning skate because well you might not want to give them uh, some intel on your lines. It's a you have guys who are coming up and down during the day. So right now you know I don't think we 100 percent know what the pairings are. We don't know we have a good idea of what the lines are, but you never know they might go they might throw us another curveball. So I think if you're if you're comfortably in a playoff spot, you can be choosy. If you're scrapping and scraping for points, I think you got to do whatever you can to get them. How's this for a terrible pun slash line jotted down? The red and yellow are black and blue on the blue line. And to run through the injuries that you've just mentioned, Chris Tanev has been, in fact, activated off IR. Nikita Zadorov, who left with about five-ish minutes left, did skate Tuesday morning. No Dennis Gilbert placed on IR. Nick DeSimone called up. What a 180 from last year, hey? Where the Calgary Flames skated through last season damn near perfectly healthy. We've seen Tanev out multiple times. We've seen a plethora of D come in and out of the lineup, up and down from the American Hockey League. It's uh, How concerned are you? Scale from 1 to 10. How concerned are you about the injury troubles the Calgary Flames have had so far this season? Six? I'll say this. With the... You don't have a... They get Tanev back, who is a great stabilizer. That's good news for them. But I still think, I mean... You know, they're leaning awfully hard on Hannafin and Anderson, especially in tough minutes, especially in offensive situations. If, you know, if Tanev is the only guy in that top four that goes out here and there, you it sucks, but I think you can work with it. If any of the other three guys go out, potentially multiple of them at once, ooh, the uh, I think you're pushing guys into uncharted waters if you have to elevate guys much further than they've elevated guys because you know you're you're talking about top six Milan Lucic how about top pairing Michael Stone they're an injury or two away from top pairing Michael Stone top four Nick DeSimone so let's circle back to Chris Tanev then who we could see against the San Jose Sharks Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I apologize for doing it, but this is one of those things that I feel like only you would be able to pull off the top of their head. I got a spreadsheet open. I'm not sure this is on it. Let's give it a try. Calgary's record without Chris Tanev in the lineup. I think it's 1-3-4. and four. With the one the coming Sharks, against the Sharks San Jose. The Sharks game was the one win. Yeah, they're 1-3-4 and four in games he doesn't finish. So where... Amongst the top five defenders on this Calgary Flames team, would knowing that they've won only one game without Chris Tanev in the lineup, where would you rank his importance on the blue line? What is, or who perhaps, might be more critical to the success of the team that plays defense for the Calgary Flames? Oh, you are putting me on the spot. I'm gonna I say, mean, the stat was I'm the thing s- to put you on the I'm spot, not say, the question. I'm going to say two, 
if you take Rasmus Anderson out, you lose a lot of oomph, a lot of swagger, offensive swagger. He he runs the power play. He's one of the better guys at making that first big transition pass to get guys into the offensive zone with numbers. You take him out, all of a sudden then, yeah, you have a lot of guys sort of playing a bit over their skis. So I would say Tanev is a very close two, and he... Oh, Tanev is the backland of the defensive group. He doesn't he doesn't move the needle a lot offensively, which is the only knock you can possibly have in his game. He does so many other things. He makes life easy on his teammates, on his coaches, on his goaltender in so many different ways that if you take him out, it's a big hole. A lot of questions, not a lot of answers until Tuesday night. Calgary Flames, San Jose Sharks. For outstanding producers Cam Hughes and Taylor Dingman, for Ryan Pike, I'm Aaron Vickers. Thanks for tuning in to Sportsnet today. We're on demand and at your fingertips with Sportsnet today. Subscribe to our podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Up next, Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg, then Flames Warm Up before the Flames and Sharks drop the puck at 8.30. Thanks for listening.